0: Hi, this is Tamsin Granger. This is Dan Abuhoff. With Tamsin and Dan read the paper on Sunday, August 14th, 2022. We're in re-entry from vacation. Exactly. Except we're still uh, enjoying yes. the presence of Pepper Abuhoff yes, the and musical, her
1: family. the musical stylings of uh, Pepper Abuhoff.
0: Yes, among other things. And with us today uh, on the podcast is her dad. Zeke Abuhoff. Yes. Hello. And uh, Pepper is at the moment uh, resting, we think. We'd like we, to think. We hope. <laughs> yeah, we'd like to think. So uh, we'll muddle through without her.
1: Yeah. Yes. Well, hopefully she's taking a nap is what you're trying to say. But yes.
0: Okay. So uh, we had a great time in Black Island. We did. It was a great two weeks and, of Black Island. And uh, eventually um, Pepper's cousin, Hazy, showed up. Yeah, with his family in tow, and uh, they really love the water and they love the sand.
1: Hazy and Pepper. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, they also love goofing around with each other. They're yes. silly little babies. Yeah. yeah. Hazy's younger, but uh, he's a brute. <laughs> so, in some respects, he could hold his own, right, Dan?
1: Yes, he's uh, he can handle himself. He's not he's scared of too much. He's not a brute in the sense that he's aggressive. He's just uh, he's not. He's ridiculous. a presence. He's a presence. He's not vulnerable. You don't yeah. worry about him getting pushed around by the other one-year-olds. It's uh, not Great. a problem. Right, stands his ground.
0: And, and he you know he helped us out a bit. He's trying to rewire some uh, solar lighting. Yes. At the house we were staying at. He, he's good at taking
1: department. things apart, and I was going to say sometimes putting them together, but mostly taking things apart. Yeah,
0: he's mostly in the aspirational aspect of well, putting it's, things it's together. It's nice
1: to have someone mechanical in the family. Mm-hmm. We we don't have enough of that.
0: No, we do not.
1: Yeah. We do not. So we look forward to more beach trips with this crew. And we also want to give a shout-out to my brother. His birthday, August 7th. We missed that. Yeah. We don't have to give his age. It's not necessarily. Okay. Older than I am. Older brother. Right. right. Older, Older Bob. brother. Yes. Yeah. Happy birthday. Happy, Happy birthday, Bob. So here we go. Um, All right. So uh, it looks like, it feels like, that every third article I see in the newspaper, and it's about reading the newspaper, is about the bear, the TV series we commented on in a previous uh, episode. And uh, everybody's, I don't know if everybody's watching it, but everybody's writing about it. And, uh, you know, I don't know if it's because we highlighted it a couple of weeks ago. There could be other reasons, I can't say. <laughs> but it is, of course... Is the,
0: uh, the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, and everybody is taking, uh, is using us... Uh, there's no other it's explanation. No
1: I'm not aware of any other explanation. Let's leave it at that. But he, uh, and it's this one. It's the story about uh, this restaurant, uh, the so-called original beef restaurant that makes beef sandwiches in Chicago. It's not exactly a uh, you know high toned place, uh, but also it's fictional. It's important. It's fictional. Yes, of course, it's fictional, uh, as television always used to be. But you remind me that's not the case anymore. And uh, Tell that
2: to Walter Cronkite.
1: Well, I met the uh, you know the shows, and uh, you know the struggles of trying to make a restaurant go, uh, with a backdrop, a very significant backdrop of family relations and a suicide, and trying to keep the family legacy going. And you know as as, as we said before, it, it's about the restaurant, uh, it's about making it go, and that's the uh, setting against that which everything uh, plays out. But it's really about the people and their relationship and how they work through what's
2: in front of them. So, I'll say that we watched it this week. You guys were re-watching it a bit, but Noelle and I were watching it for the first time. Yeah. And I'd say, positive review from us. Enjoyable show. Very interesting stuff.
0: Okay. And it's also, again, an endorsement from us. Because yeah. we don't watch things a second time. Hmm.
1: Typically. Yes. And, and so
0: I, the idea that we were actually excited and interested... Well, I'll watch it again with you. As it's I told unusual. you, I I got
1: more out of it the second time, and it, and, and you know I hesitate to confess this because I like to think I'm able to follow a television show the first time, but the fact of the matter is, it's a lot going on. It's rat a tat tat, and there's a lot of text and subtext and sub subtext, and I got more out of it the second time.
0: Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, this was a new scenario for you. But why is it? But why is it? What, why is a new scenario? You know, actual physical labor. Oh,
1: let me let me stop you right there. We <laughs> met working in dining halls together, right. And then you went off to the the, the fancy world of, uh, you know, litigation. I can't i conquered the world of physical yeah. labor. I had to move on. There was nothing left to revisit. Yeah, there are things
0: in I that you were that, asked, to leave. I <laughs> I was asked to leave. there are things that
1: resonate here. I mean,
0: uh, especially that one scene where Sydney um, cuts her finger, yeah, And oh, she's God. working is the whole day with the thing bleeding. It's, it's gross. How many times did I do that? <laughs> well, I hate to think I, about that. I have the scars. And then eventually you get a break. And if you're
1: lucky, maybe you do, you know, drive with one hand over to, you know, the... Uh, there is another scene what? Where, where a guy says to him, uh, his cousin says to him, what, Oh or no, the girl, Sydney says to him, what's that burn for? Burn mark. You know, mm-hmm. you get that... He said, "No, that was a few years ago. I ran into the barbecue when I was a kid. My, but you used to have burn marks like every month for the kids. Yeah,
0: there's a specific burn mark uh, you get if you when you reach in the oven yeah. and the upper rack. Yeah, uh, right. You hit right. the upper On your rack. Forearm. Yeah, that's so what other I, used to, I used to have these.
2: They, he asked if it was an oven burn, but it, yeah, wasn't yeah, a barbecue it's, it's, burn. it was barbecue.
0: Yeah, Well, you'd have these stripes. So yeah, I felt there was a lot to relate about, and also, you know. But but, but and reason, relationships is you know
1: I, again we talk about the restaurant but it's really about the people but my question is this briefly why is this show hitting such a nerve why do they just have the best PR agent ever but you know why are they writing about this like nobody's business let's ask, it's, seek. it's not Games
2: of Thrones let's ask, seek. <laughs> I think it's good. It's a good show, <laughs> but there are other but, shows, but sure, sure. But they—I mean, one thing that being good helps, but I think also has a kind of unique premise. I think you don't see a ton of shows coming at this subject matter from this angle. Like, I can't—I can't think off the top of my head of another show that was really focused on in the kitchen action in the past few years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, certainly, this show showing up—you know—with the sense of style and purpose that it does and then having this unique subject matter i think it makes it kind of pop for people i think that really gets the attention especially of uh journalists and they're saying this show's a little different what is it doing yeah and that pulls people in i i think it'd be interesting to see if it actually pulls in a lot of people total sometimes there are these critical darlings that have a certain following you know the the ratio of people uh who watch uh succession to the number of articles there are about succession i think is dramatic yeah. you know there have been uh, shows like that before so we'll have to see if it's like a big sensation but even if it's just a critical darling that's fine because it's just a good show i'm happy to enjoy it as that
0: but uh back to the articles themselves speaking mm. of the articles some of the articles are really funny one article i read was about how uh, this show has suddenly made line cooks very sexy yeah very popular. That, that's, and, uh, that's before I got yeah. out of the dining hall. Yeah. <laughs> and um, another uh, another article was about uh, the sandwich itself. I got one that right here. Selling, you can't you know, get it. You can't get where enough. can you get it? And there you know. I, There's some place in Brooklyn that's selling them. They say one of the drawbacks is that it is literally soaked in the juice. juice. It's a messy sandwich. And so it's a messy sandwich. And can the rest of the world embrace a soggy sandwich the way Chicago does? Maybe not. But, you know, the the meat looks fabulous uh, on the show. Well, the place
1: in Brooklyn they're writing about, uh, a place called Dog Day Afternoon, a Chicago Italian beef and hot dog restaurant at Winter Terrace, Brooklyn, In the Times. It says business for the... That sandwich is up fifty percent.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Nice. And at the end here's a Well thing. that could mean anything. And it looks Maybe like... Maybe they
0: used to sell two a week. Now <laughs> they're No, stuff no, in no. Four. They
1: have real numbers. But it, but the other thing about it, when you Sorry. watch the show, yeah. it starts, you know, they're braising this beef. It looks like it's very select beef. They're they're intense about the way they're prepared, and you're saying to yourself, This this is not a hot dog. Uh, this they seem to be investing quite a bit in the sandwich. I wonder how much it costs. Guess how much it costs. How much? Fifteen bucks. The sandwich. Yeah. So that's things, not a small thing. A lot of
2: things cost a lot now.
1: A lot of things. Oh, here the we go. Talk about good. a segue. <laughs> Talk about a segue.
2: Why do you say Specifically that? Specifically in the restaurant business. Yeah. Do you know that yeah. costs in the restaurant business are up significantly? Uh, there's a piece in the Times about this. It's uh, it's an interesting piece. It's not just um, a straight article as much as it is this uh, data set about the uh, about one particular restaurant called Good Food. And what they're dealing with in terms of their expenses. And it has some charts about how the costs of certain things like food and labor and drinks and utilities have all gone up uh, to varying amounts. Uh, There are really scary extreme examples like canola going up 159% in its cost. Um, And then more modest stuff like heavy cream only going up 13%. But uh, all this stuff together, it seems, makes the restaurant business just a lot tougher to uh to make a go of and uh you know if you watch the bear with this in mind you've got to think like this is this is a punishing business to be in um i think certainly when you're watching all those characters in a frenzy trying to make everything work trying to get all the orders done on time you're seeing there's not much room for error to begin with yeah you know and they talk in the show a little bit about how the numbers are hard to add up even if you have a following even if people like the food how do you make the numbers add up and this article talks a little bit about how difficult that is.
0: Yeah. One of the things I like about The bear is that uh, it does show every aspect of trying to make it in the business. I mean, they have the head chef on his hands and knees, you know, essentially with a toothbrush scrubbing the floor, um, mm-hmm. it, you know, and, uh, you know, getting exploded in the place by a malfunctioning toilet and things like that. And it's just... Uh, not glamorous. And this, yeah. And this uh, article addresses that kind of totality as well. It's not just a matter of, you know, a few elegant recipes that people can't live without. It's, you know, every single... You know, thing that goes into it—the electricity, the right. labor, the you know, the um, catching labor, reeling it in, keeping the people, right. e- encouraging more people—it's um, multiple
2: problems compounding on each other too. Because while there's the general, overall banner of inflation, there are all these specific ways that that plays out, or these specific problems that seem to be causing the inflation. There are ways in which the pandemic changed the business how they had to struggle to do takeout but there were costs associated with takeout that they had to take on okay. and that they're, they're still dealing with some the, the container the, the labor market changed as a result of the pandemic uh yeah. you know the recently the, the change in gas prices has made shipping everything more expensive there's been a fertilizer shortage and that makes uh, all the food more expensive so Crises coming from every direction to make it harder to run a restaurant. Well Well, one thing about the labor problem that
0: really resonated was uh they have a they have you know, they have a staff, right? Staff's overworked. Yeah. Because they can't attract new people. They can't get more people. Well that's people so that's the business. Then you have then you have
1: people leave. Then you yeah, you have people
0: people leave because they are overworked. And
1: you're even worse. Uh, upper creek well what's interesting again just to bring the bear full circle you know they had you know as, as these shows sometimes do they had a big monologue in, uh, yesterday in the last episode at an Al-Anon meeting and what you're subjected to in each harrowing episode is the impossible challenges he's facing as a restaurateur based on the conditions you guys just described and he says as he goes through it how impossible he says you know obviously uh, none of this makes any sense what I'm trying to do when I'm trying to fix the restaurant is the fixed relationship with my brother who committed suicide, mm-hmm. and that's the only explanation for doing it all, and that's mm-hmm. what sort of makes it sort of uh, makes the whole experience resonate in a different way. So anyway, uh, it's, a, it's a tough business. It's a tough yeah. show. It is a
2: tough show. There are some tough watch. Tough watch. When you
0: say yeah, it's but it's show? not. It's not dark like some shows. No, it's,
2: it's not, not dark. Not, you know, it's not strictly dark. And it's not. I think it's not too punishing to watch. I think even when it's yeah. intense, it's entertaining. It's
1: entertaining in sort of mm-hmm. a little quirky com- comedic way. But uh, it is. The challenges are amazing.
0: So I just want to sum up what this guy is going through. And this is in Charlotte. And the restaurant is called Good Food on Montfort. And it sounds like really good food. And he says, in in terms of what it's done to his uh, bottom line, the restaurant makes nearly $2 million a year in sales. Mr. Moffitt, the owner, estimates his profit margin has fallen to about 8 to 10%. From roughly fifteen to twenty. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. well, that, that makes
1: okay. sense because you see in the other parts of the article, people say that their labor used to be twenty-five to thirty percent, now it's thirty-five percent. So you can see it. Either a- and right
0: this now. guy is doing well. The, okay. they, they mentioned the average uh, pre-tax profit margin for typical restaurant with annual sell, sales of around a million has dropped from one percent. Uh, to around 1% from 5%. Yeah. And this guy's still It's it's not, it's not
2: a big margin business. It's again. not no, a big margin it's, business. It's, it's really you know,
1: so. All right, so you had food related, sweet corn then.
2: Sweet corn. Yes. Well,
0: I'm a nut about yes, sweet yes, corn. Yes, you are. That's what i letting a nut you talk about. Sweet about, about it. Corn. And turns out I'm 100% wrong about. About the, this is what, you know, I've always. Uh, I've always thought that. Growing yeah. up. <laughs> yeah. Growing up, we always like, uh, you know, it's a big rule in the family. Yeah uh you eat corn as often as you can when it's available right okay and you can only you can only serve it you can only cook it if on the same day you bought it yeah and this was always because as corn you know once corn is harvested yeah. the kernels turn from sugar the, the sugar in the kernels goes from sugar to sa- to starch starch right okay so it goes from sweet and delicious to blah yeah. Okay, and uh, so there's an article here in the Wall Street Journal by, by the food writer B. Wilson uh, saying, you know how you know people used to have this, you know, uh, people used to joke to achieve sweetness, the pan for boiling the corn should be put on the stove even before you've harvested the corn. Right. Okay. You gotta eat so, it fast. Yeah, but it turns out that uh, I guess uh, back as uh, in the 1950s, actually, um, somebody began developing a sweet corn, figured out what makes the corn sweet, okay, and so that everything we eat now is sweet corn and it's actually been bred to stay sweet for up to, like, a week. Oh,
1: my God. Okay. You've been driving us so crazy with this. I've
0: always had a complete kibosh on you cannot buy corn on the cob in the grocery store. Right. Because who knows how old it is? It's yeah. ridiculous. And now, you know, it turns out I'm I'm probably wrong. Oh, God. It, so it's not that it's... You know, it's a different corn yeah. than you and I ate growing up, okay? And uh, she says the downsides... It, Downside is it lacks this rich, corny taste and creamy texture of old corn, but most consumers don't mind this. They'd rather okay. have the sweet corn. Yeah. Now, here's a little caveat. Okay, if you're using sweet corn for old-timey recipes, yeah. a lot of those old-timey recipes will actually... Uh, have you add a tablespoon of sugar or yeah. some amount of sugar. Not necessarily. You know, if you're making like a yeah. corn pudding, mm-hmm. you know, different different kind of dishes. So if you're using a real old-time recipe, and sometimes I do. I, I get out these, you know, early 20th century uh, recipe cookbooks and use them. Uh, you might want to admit, omit the sugar Yeah. because the corn is so sweet now. And she mentions a, a recipe that sounds pretty good because, you know, we love soup. Um she mentions a uh, corn and cauliflower chowder from a book called One Pot Pan Planet by Anna Jones, and she says the bitterness of the cauliflower is just right against the sweetness of the corn. That, that sounds good. So, yeah. and, corn cauliflower. Uh, yeah. She also mentions that you know how um, Mexican corn you have has butter, cheese, yeah. you know, some chili, some lime, mm-hmm. and uh, she mentions she thinks that's a great way to eat this sweet corn now. Because, again, it balances out mm. um, the uh, sort of one-note
1: sweetness of some of the you're corn. You're talking about the butter or the lime? You're talking about the lime, now, I guess.
0: It, well, just, just the, um, you know, the non-sweet flavors. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know, the, the fat, the yeah. acid, ah. etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but in general, whether corn is boiled or grilled, butter is never a mistake. She does mention if you're going to grill your corn, you're going to do it in the husk. you got to Pull down the husk, take out the silk, and then put it back. Sure. Okay. You got it. We've been,
2: we've, yeah. we're trying to do that. Uh, there's been one failure so far. Yeah. A, a recipe that erroneously promised that the silk would melt away. Yeah. Not the case.
0: But in never any case, the silk.
2: she says, butter is
0: never a mistake. And she quotes Edward Bunyard, an English food writer. From 1937, who said, butter it must have, plenty of it, to bathe the yellow grains and dribble down one's chin as one chews away. Butter it must have. Butter it must have.
1: i get that written on something. Okay, Zeke. Next reason why uh, you know, the apocalypse is upon us.
2: Ah, uh, yes, the apocalypse. Well, this week in the apocalypse, we have flooding. Yeah. Floods, 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 uh, on their way to California. Um, well, all over the U.S. Well, no, yeah, but this is sure. different. No, no we, well, we
0: have we have floods, we have droughts, we have weather extremes. Extreme weather all yeah. over the world. In
2: fact, global okay. warming and is is sending us for a spin. Right. Uh, in this case, the hotter air is able to carry more water vapor, which means that certain. Uh, I forget what they call them, uh, vapor rivers or something, sky rivers, some sort of fun name for it. Anyway, all this vapor uh, over the Pacific um, can get heavier. It can get more water in it as it flows toward uh, North America. When it hits the mountains in California, that can result in big storms. Now, so far, uh, you know, the the more typical problem we have in California is droughts. There's, you know, just so many droughts recently. the The whole region is aridifying you know it's uh we've got like aridifying depleting, yeah. yeah it's no, it's bad, bad news, news. <laughs> depleting water supplies colorado river is being pushed about as far as it can go uh but this water coming over in the sky could if it all comes at once um result in uh, what i believe the times calls a mega storm and a mega storm could be disastrous for the state Uh, There are a number of areas where the existing infrastructure for dams and levees can't handle uh, this scale of storm that is projected by some experts. Um, And this type of storm, uh, the the stats they provide on it in this article are that uh, already things have gotten bad enough that there's during a given year, there's a one in 50 chance of this megastorm happening. So that's you know, high enough, it's you don't love it, but 1 in 50, you know, you can say that's not so bad. But as temperatures globally continue to climb in the coming years, that's expected to go uh, to worsen to 1 in 30. So, you know, that sounds like over the next, you know, few decades, is a pretty solid chance that this thing will hit. Um, and we want to be ready when it does. For a frame of reference in the article, they talk about Hurricane Katrina and how devastating that was to a city that did not have adequate infrastructure protecting it um that was just you know absolutely devastating of course to uh, new orleans so a similar thing could happen to cities in california and uh, we should be concerned about it there's now some effort some interest in preparing for this um i think people a lot of people know that global warming is a problem that you know extreme weather events are increasing we have to do something but can you actually get the resources together uh in one case uh the article mentions a a study that recommended that there be an additional three billion dollars invested. Sorry, an 30. additional thirty billion dollars uh, over the next few years invested in protecting the state. But uh, in the decade following that study, only three billion dollars were actually invested. You know what so, I think the problem is? Yeah, mostly California is going through drought. Yeah.
0: And I bet every time they bring up, uh, we gotta spend more money in case there's a flood. Somebody
2: says, "How could that even happen?" How could that possibly happen? But, yes. but it can. I mean, sure enough, some people do raise alarms and get ignored. They have an example of uh, one researcher who did just that, saying, "You know, this risk is increasing." And uh, you know, when there was uh, a flood doing some damage in, uh, I think, Oroville, um, I guess a few years ago. Uh, you know, he felt like, you know, this is, this is sad that I knew this sort of thing could happen, but nobody listened. And, uh, the California's Department of Water Resources was afterward investigated by independent investigators who said that it was overconfident and complacent about its infrastructure um so that's a little unsettling to think that the very government departments that are responsible for this sort of thing aren't taking it too seriously yeah kind of batting away researchers saying come on how bad could it be (laughs) which just seems like exactly what you say before disaster well it's
1: sort of like a a don't look up scenario from the uh, the movie yeah
2: it's very much like
1: that but you know that said in fairness you know it's, it's just hard to know you're talking about you know it's hard to predict things and particularly the future and uh you know, I'm sure for every, there are other researchers call it one in 50, one in 30. There's probably some researchers out there who say it's one in 300,000. So,
2: well, let's do nothing about
1: it and see what I'm happens. not advocating doing nothing. I'm <laughs> saying that just adds to the complexity of it. I mean, they're they're just giving you one side of the story. But uh, that just makes it tricky, that's all. Hard to know. But it is, it's funny to open up the newspaper. You don't have to open up. It's in the front page. It's above the fold saying, uh, you know, there's an asteroid on the way. Yeah. By the way, that's right, all the way. Keep in mind, as well as everything else going on in the world. So, there you go. All right. So, uh, moving aside from uh, apocalyptic events, there was a book that both you and I were interested in, Tamsin, and uh, then they sent more information on it. It's called uh, Shy by uh, Mary Rogers. And Mary Rogers is. Well, it was an
0: unbelievably glowing review of yeah, this and... uh, memoir. By the daughter of Richard Rodgers, as in Rodgers and Hammerstein, Rodgers and Hart, uh, et cetera, and uh, uh, she really seems to dish a lot of,
1: uh, you know, musical industry dirt. You know, it really is, according to the Times articles by uh, the reviews by Daniel Okrent, uh, and we should say that the book she's passed away. The book, the co-author is Jesse Green, the Times reviewer. Um, so, you know, it's a real insiders, legitimate insiders, uh, a cannibal goes on Broadway with a lot of personalities. And she was a player and she, of course, Richard Rogers is legendary, but beyond all the productions he was involved in, she was in the business too when she wrote her own musical, which was Once Upon a Mattress. Uh, originally starring Carol Burnett. Yes. Right? And, uh, had a revival a few years ago with... Sarah Jessica... Parker? Yeah, you're right. Uh, Two for two. The Princess uh, princess and the Pea. The Story of the Princess and the Pea. And there's some cute songs in there. Anyway, she talks about all these people uh, and it's really funny. You read this and it's really funny. Uh, And her her life is kind of interesting too, including at one point she was considered a match for Stephen Sondheim. They were great friends and someone decided they should get married. Maybe everyone decided they should get married since they were such great friends. The only problem Mm -hmm. being...
0: I don't know if everyone decided. I don't Somebody know exactly decided. how the decision. Enough people decide. It was it was clear that he was gay. Yeah. Um, but they decided to have some kind of marriage. I think they married. Am I yeah. wrong about that? I, I don't know they, if they married. They, they lived to. They definitely lived together for yeah. a while. They trial marriage. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So she writes about that. Yeah. And, uh, and she, how she, that worked. Well, she's very fond of. Uh, and they and they read, of Tom, nonetheless, and... it was not a success. Yeah. Obviously. And nonetheless, they remember. They remain, you know, close friends throughout life. Close her, her closest friend
1: ever was Steve and Sana. I mean, uh, but she writes uh, terrible things
0: about her parents. Not terrible things. She brutally truthful things about her parents. The chapter about her mother is called "I Dismember Mama." Yeah,
1: how's that? How's that, see?
0: <laughs> and. Oh, he said her, her father wasn't great. He was an alcoholic. Yeah. He was a womanizer, etc. But uh, Not as he bad was as better the mother,
1: than the, <laughs> the mother. And well, she has all kinds of things. She, it's a great line. when, she, well, As, as, as Okrit writes it up, she refers to uh, Arthur Lorenz, who wrote the books for West Side Story and Gypsy, as Arthur Lorenz, the little shit. Uh, and, you know, just like that. And they said later in the book, she goes deep. Talent excuses almost anything but Arthur Lorenz. and she has other observations to make about people. She doesn't hold back, and it's and it seems funny. They also have an excerpt in uh, today's times from the book about when she was in the Poconos. Uh, they used to have these, uh, you know, uh, show oriented, musical oriented, talent oriented uh, summer camps where people would come and perform and write things together, and and uh, guests well, would come and Well, they, they pay. were
0: they were camps. Yeah, they were family camps. Yeah. And part of what they provided were musical shows every night.
1: And this was 10 okay. which I remember right. hearing right. about. So
0: it. there was a staff that wrote these shows. And there and were prominent people
1: them. there. Then they were young, but you know, she mentions people like Woody Allen, who was there. Uh, and uh, here's what's interesting about the creative process. I mean, you, you'll uh, be interested in this, I think. Mm-hmm. The way it would work is, it wasn't like they said, uh, we need to write a show and here's a blank piece of paper, come up with something. Uh, you might come up with an idea for a show, in her case, making a musical about the princess and the pea. Maybe someone else had the idea. But the way the show gets written is, they say, look, we have these kind of performers who we have No, the boss,
0: says, the boss I says, I have hired these nine people. They all have to be, I whatever show you write,
1: yeah. they all have to be leads in it. And they all, you all have to have parts. This one can sing. This one can dance. This one looks like this. This one looks like that. This one can hardly speak, but it's funny. And she's writing a show and creating characters to match all the characteristics of the people that are put the in The available cast. And that's how she, as she says, she's writing the show backwards because she's writing a show to meet the people available to put on the show and... That becomes her big successful show. And if you think about the creative process, it's somehow it's easier, it can be easier, to write write something like that because you're given a specific assignment. It's just funny
0: because it's your gosh darn job. You know, you're cranking this stuff out, right? And you have in your mind maybe some glamorous idea of the creative process for uh, the music
1: writers and the lyricists and stuff. This is just these people are sitting there cracking. Yeah, it, but it, it, it's so quixotic. I mean, she, she's one guy who has to be cast who can hardly speak so she writes a pantomime role for that guy. That becomes a character in the show. There's one woman who just has a beautiful voice but can hardly move. They create a character called a nightingale who is li- brought down the stage from a cage singing this one song. And this all becomes the show. She's in the cage so she can't move. Yeah. Uh, so, it's, anyway, it's totally So, weird. it's an
0: inside look.
1: So, you have I mean. taken the very bold step of actually ordering the book, I understand. You ordered the book. Well, yeah, Dan. Okay. <laughs>
2: Lots of people order books.
1: All right. All right. We're going to have a physical book in the house, not a Kindle book. Uh, well, There's
2: money in the book budget this week.
1: Yes. <laughs> Shy, the alarmingly outspoken memoirs of Mary Rogers. So,
0: yeah, she seems like a pip. Yeah. Her mother was apparently an, an ice maiden, damn yeah. person, and I did read her mother's book. You did. Her mother had a famous book called My or... Favorite Things. Yeah, and it was about decorating. And you read it? It was one of the few books that was in the, the Cranberry Public Library. Oh, you're about. Uh, it just caught my eye because it was. I think it was published in
2: 1964.
0: Yeah, and uh, I like books from par. Um, I like to look at um interior design um fads or whatever from past periods. Yeah. And it was just interesting to me this person's uh, perspective on, you know, what was a beautiful house in nineteen
1: sixty four. So I um, I look Well, they mention the book here. They say yeah. they, they describe it as a high end homemaker's guide that told readers how to decorate their apartments and serve aspic.
2: Yeah. I don't remember you know, getting too much aspic. Are I remember parenting tips in there. Always, always no.
0: hearing about aspic. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I thought someday I'll grow up and I'll eat a lot of aspic. That's yeah. what grown ups seem to eat in right. fancy restaurants. Right. Still not there. Yeah. Might be good. I don't know. It's kind of V8 juice, tomato juice, jelloed, right?
1: Well, they, they make the comment in the uh, article that uh, their marriage was like aspic and that it was cold and gelatinous. So mm-hmm. there you go.
0: They just need a
2: little aridification.
1: Yeah, that's what they need.
2: All right, Zeke. Ninja Turtles. Ninja Turtles. Logical follow-up Ninja Turtles. Yeah. Uh, It's an article in the Times about uh, how everybody loves the Ninja Turtles. Everybody always has. It's It's a kind of weird mainstay of pop culture. Ever since their debut in the 80s, the Ninja Turtles have been a hit with kids and merchandisers alike. And they've gone through many iterations over time.
0: May I tell you how I heard of the Ninja Turtles? How did you hear of the Ninja Turtles? Um, When I I don't know how old they were. When uh, Granger and Sadie were little peanuts and I had to come up with a Halloween costume. And, of course, I'm trying to be, you know, homemade and creative. And I had them help me make giant papier-mâché turtle shells. Yeah. Okay? And so they, and I bought them like green sweatsuits or something. And they wore these awful looking paper mache turtle shells. They had painted them themselves. I mean, it was like having pepper paint, you know. And uh, when I brought them into the shop, the cranberry food sampler, uh, to show everybody or whatever, um, Anthony, one of the guys working there, said, Oh, what are these? Ninja turtles? and i said oh, oh, oh what, what's a ninja turtle i mean you made them turtles without ever i mean i didn't even turtles? know turtles were a thing oh my god and but suddenly they were the coolest kids because they were ninja turtles and the kids Halloween. hadn't heard of ninja turtles no they they were not uh, in that uh, mode yet oh my they god weren't. they were still so young they weren't really well
1: i remember they got into in the developments they got yeah. into it big time like yeah, yeah. so know, anyway, people. so go on
2: sorry uh, yeah, well, there's not even so much to say about them. In this particular article, there's chronicling a little bit their uh, their different iterations over the years across cartoons on TV and uh, movies, live action and otherwise, and uh, video games and the merchandise, the merchandise, the merchandise. They've been on clothes, toys, everything. Um, I had a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles blanket as a kid. Uh, ah, was it was yeah, it was, a, col- it was more of a,
0: like a quilt.
2: Yeah, yeah. It was it was the the big blanket on my bed, and it was yeah. it was great. You had all four of the turtles there, right. In uh, vivid color, and uh, that's all you really need. One thing that this article gets at a little bit is that they seem to have this uh, evergreen appeal, uh, seemingly because they're just a very simple, fun thing. It's not that it, it was despite having some catchphrases that have, you know, 80s and 90s teen slang in them, they're not actually all that timely. They're just, uh, they're this rather wacky fantasy of, you know, an animal that is also a superhero that is also silly. And it turns out that appeals to kids again and again and again. It doesn't take much explaining. Uh, you know, this trip, uh, Pepper found a Ninja Turtle... Uh, toy in her room and she loved it immediately. She looks at <laughs> it and says, Turtle! And say, yeah, that's a ninja turtle. She says, Ninja Turtle. You know, she doesn't doesn't care what the backstory is. It's just great. Um and over time though, the the market for Ninja Turtles has shifted some in the sense that there's increasingly a an adult market for Ninja Turtle stuff. Kind of a nostalgic market, right. or just a market that wants, you know, new and different versions of the turtles. So uh, one thing they mentioned in the article is that the uh, the stuff you can make with Ninja Turtles changes a little bit over time. You know, maybe now you can do a, a high-priced statuette instead of just a, an action figure. <laughs> but uh, also when they go to make a Ninja Turtles movie and put it on Netflix, uh, sometimes maybe the tone could be a little bit darker, or a little bit uh, more intense. Because, well, maybe the people watching that particular version of the Turtles aren't actually 10-year-olds, maybe they're 30-year-olds, maybe they're 40-year-olds. Right. And uh, so it's funny how it kind of spans generations in this way. Well, I use
0: the Ninja Turtles every uh, semester in my introductory lecture when I was explaining to yeah. kids, uh, students rather, what is an attribute. An mm-hmm. attribute, you know, it's kind of object that's associated with a particular god or goddess. Mm-hmm. And then you always know, you know, like Zeus has the thunderbolt or the lightning you know and you see uh, a naked statue standing holding one of those you know it's zeus okay you don't need anything else and uh same thing i explained that by saying you know the ninja turtles you know you could meet them in a dark alley and as long as you know uh what um weapon he's holding you know which guy it is you know whether it's leonardo
2: or yeah, because they all had a particular. Well, sure, weapon. if you see a sword, you know it's Leonardo. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's how you see a staff, planet. you know, it's Donatello. Well, but
1: you're also bringing it up because they're named after famous artists, right? Well, that was
2: the fun part of it, yeah. you
1: know.
0: And they and they all each had they had a particular color associated with What, what, them, what are the four know? names
1: again? It's Leonardo, Leonardo, and... Donatello, Raphael, and Michelangelo. Yeah, see, this is a, a, a significant part of Zeke's artistic education. Mm-hmm. I don't want to skip over it.
0: I think it's fine. I think uh, you have characters like that that you love with those names and you're, you know, just sort of instinctively predisposed with a positive feeling about <laughs> those names. So when in real life you come across the real Leonardo, you say, wow, yeah, of course. You know?
1: Yeah. Well No, listen, it made an impression on me. I remember hearing it and I said, uh, yeah, I know the Leonardo, Michelangelo thing, but Donatello? Who's Donatello? So I learned something there.
0: Yeah. Uh, not as big. In yeah, the you got
1: to know about that. Tell yeah. Uh, all right. So I like the way you refer to their appeal as evergreen. I got that. I like the way you slipped that in. All right. So finally, there's an article. It's not quite. Speaking a sub- of evergreen. Yeah, it's not quite as op- apocalyptic as uh, possible floods in California. But it ain't great. It's the idea. There was an article Times ran a few days ago, maybe even a week ago, about people are uh, running into a problem of there are rats uh, in the engines of their cars. Who are ruining the wiring and otherwise a huge headache?
0: Once again, Tammy Granger headed the curve. How so? Because uh, mice ate completely. You remember the old minivan? Oh, I remember and, our experience. And mice ate completely through the the wires, but not so completely. I actually started the car. It was tr- I had trouble starting, and then I got as far as Route 130, and I was at a stoplight. Yeah. and the car stopped.
2: Really?
1: Yeah. 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 Uh, Well, uh, I remember that. It was a real problem. But here's what's interesting. So the article appears in the Times. And uh, last Sunday, actually, uh, check under the hood could be rats who are kind of screwing up your internet and stuff. And it's a thing, to be sure. And people are saying, uh, why is that happening? Uh, and it's because of the pandemic, it's because people are eating outside because there's so much more food around, and because uh, people don't pick up the garbage. And well, the city. That, that
0: would make you think they're not eating the cars, they're just eating the food available. Well,
2: these are theories, and they're, they're, there's people more at too many uh, Italian beef sandwiches on the hoods of their cars. Well, here, here yeah, well, that's part of it. So, I,
0: I heard that the wires, have, yeah, all right. the coating on the Here's wires, where the, is answer tasty. Comes in. the
1: letters came in in today's times, and they have the answer. They say, first of all, Reason one, is you're identifying, the uh, wires are now insulated with a soybean-based wrap. We've set up a catering system for the rats. (laughs) And that was our problem with the minivan, but I'll come back to that uh, a moment ago. Then you have each letter to someone who's deeply invested in this issue. Someone else says all the plastic bags full of refuse directly on the sidewalk, all the outdoor dining, all this food around, Uh, you know... um, But then you get the morphing letters that resonate with us because they begin with not only an urban problem. And that's the thing. That everyone, since you're in the city, you're saying we have this problem in the city. It's a city problem. Well, not really. He says, "Uh, if you think cleaning the area will help, you don't know how rats work. This is as big a problem in rural areas. And they have letter after letter of people in rural areas who say that they are bothered by rats or other rodents that ruin uh, their cars, and there are all kinds of uh, suggestions about how you get rid of them. Some of them quite exotic. Some are as simple as uh, uh, rodent repellent. They give brand names of certain rodent repellents. Uh, Critter
0: Ritter I used Critter Rooter.
1: Yeah, uh, using pepper. Too late. Pepper laced electrical tape. Uh, leaving the hoods open. Placing solar lights to shine in the engine compartment at night. Spraying peppermint oil uh playing the flute Uh, yeah playing the flute uh rodent sheriff spray and uh, finally they conclude that you can't win i suppose eventually we'll see a blinking rat icon on our dashboard displays so you know there's no uh, solution it's out there uh i think our problem with the minivan we didn't run it regularly that was clearly the problem and i i felt that our rodent problem at least was uh, it could you could have deterrence just by running the car on a regular basis. So uh, maybe these are cars that are like, don't get run that much. But I don't know. Something you look forward to in California, Zeke, as you're waiting for the flood. Mm-hmm. Uh, sort of a short-term and a longer-term problem. So here we go. Uh, that's the end of our podcast. Thank you, Zeke, for joining us. Um,
0: this is Samson Granger.
1: This is Dan Abuhoff. Yes. And Zeke Abuhoff.
0: full well, with, you know, Tamsin and Dan, read the paper. We'll see you again another time. Next week. Bye.